0: Welcome everybody. Nice to see you guys. So glad that you're here with us today. And uh, as always, I want to welcome you not only to our Henderson location, but want to say a special shout out to uh, all of our central family locations. Big shout out to Central Summerlin, Central Southern Highlands, Central Sunrise Mountain, to our Central Kingman family, to those who are joining us um, online, and to those who are joining us in our partnership with God Behind Bars in different prison facilities around the country.) <laughs> We love you guys. Thank you for being with us. Well, have you ever just had something happen to you that's totally random? Just a random thing. Just happened. Like I read about this guy, he's walking down the street, five in the morning, he just got off the train, he's on his way home, and all of a sudden he looks behind him and a pig is following him. And his thought is like, he's not following me. Like, right, what the heck? So he keeps going. And every time he turns around, this pig is literally, not a little pig, a big pig is following him. So what do you do if a pig is randomly following you at five in the morning? He calls the police. He's like, there's a pig following me. (laughs) And the dispatcher's like, okay, I think this guy's probably had a little too much to drink, right? So she passed it on to the officers. This was in Ohio. The officers go out and they found a guy who was completely sober, he had not been drinking, he was just walking home after he got off the early train, right? It's five in the morning, and there was a huge pig following him. In fact, they took the pig, what do you do? You book it. So they booked a pig, they put it in the car, here's a photo that they took of the pig. They took it back to the police station, they posted this photo up on Facebook, and by 8.30 in the morning, the owner called. Apparently, it was a pet pig. And um, you know, it was very well-mannered in the whole deal. Somebody commented on their Facebook page, way to bring home the bacon. (laughs) So, there you go. Random stuff just happens in life. And I hope you don't ever find yourself in a place where you're walking along and suddenly there's a strange animal following you behind you. But we're all going to go through experiences where the unexpected happens. And that's why we're talking about how we can sort of position ourselves financially in our lives to be prepared for the unexpected. Because the unexpected will happen. Now, it's Father's Day weekend. And, uh, man, there's nothing that has been a greater cause of blessing in my life than being a father and also a greater cause of feeling totally and completely inadequate. Come on, guys, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I- I mean, just, it's like both all at once, right? Like even when I'd say Father's Day, I'm like, yeah, Father's, oh, I should have been a better dad. You know, like it all, it all sort of comes out in one breath. You know, like I I tried to be, I wanted to be, I, I don't know, am I doing a good job? Did I do a good job? There's all this stuff that comes with it. But one thing that I think particularly men, we carry, we have this sort of provider thing in us. And when it comes to the financial part of our family's life, we often carry that at really unhealthy levels. I know for me, When my daughter was born, I remember like, it was so awesome at the hospital. That was exciting and great. And then we took her home. And when I'm driving her home, before we even got to the house, I started having a complete meltdown, thinking about all the things I was going to have to pay for, buy, do, save for college, which by the way, she just graduated and she's going to go. We're there. It happens like this. Save your money now. And, um, Bam, you know, here we are. But I remember in that moment, just the stress and the pressure, and it follows you as you go through life. And so how do we take some of that pressure off? I don't know about you and your family, but uh, for me, every time um, you know the end of the month came and we had to reconcile all the bills, uh, I found that that was really a, a, a season. Like I would, every time I would, I, would, I would finish getting the credit card statement reconciled and everything, I would notice that within the next hour, Lori and I would usually have an argument. I'd be getting onto the kids in way too loud of a voice. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? No? You don't do that. <laughs> and it was the stress and pressure of just finances. When you're dipping into it and budgeting and doing all of that, and then all of a sudden, you know, it starts spilling over into your marriage, it spills over into your family. It spills, really, it spills over into every area of our lives. And so we started this teaching series last week called 101080 a simple plan for financial peace. And uh, I really think this can give you hope. Some of you may feel like it's hopeless right now. You may not be sure how you're gonna move forward, how you can even live on what you make, much less save and prepare for the future. But listen, I want you to know there is hope. But hope without a plan is just hype. So I wanna talk to you today about a plan that can help take your hope and help it become a reality. 10 80 is a plan that I've been living in my life for over 20 years. Uh, It's a proven, simple financial plan that believers have lived uh, in their lives for generations. And uh, it's based and anchored in biblical principles. And we kicked it off last week and we we talked about the first 10. So I've got a dollar bill here that just represents uh, everything you earn, uh, your income, hopefully it's more than a dollar. Um. And so here's the breakdown. The first 10... I want to give. This is my giving power. This is what we talked about last week, giving the first 10 back to God. And uh, not because God needs our money, but because tithing and giving is a way of showing our trust and faith in him. The second 10, I want to then pay myself with. A lot of us, we work all week long and 100% of what we make goes right out the door, right? You never pay yourself. And then I want to learn to live on 80% of my income. Which this is a completely countercultural message from what people are living today. I mean, I was reading some st- some studies that say 58% of Americans do not have a thousand dollars in savings. 58%. One in three have nothing in savings. And friends, random things are gonna happen. Your dishwasher is going to break. Hello, somebody, your car is going to break, right? Things are gonna go wrong. The dental bill is gonna roll up. Things are gonna happen, and if you haven't planned, if you're just hoping things will work out, then you're sort of preparing for a really frustrating situation and for an incredible amount of stress. So last week we talked about uh, the first 10 and what we do with that in a 10, framework. This week, I want to talk to you about the second 10 and the, your saving power, paying yourself. And it is possible. Some of you, you're frustrated. You're already at a place where you just feel a little bit overwhelmed. Listen, don't, don't check out, lean in because I'm going to give you some hope, but I'm going to give you some practical ways that you can make progress in this area of your life and you'll be glad that you did now this stuff doesn't work overnight it doesn't happen like bam immediately everything's great it's hard it takes discipline but the stuff we're going to be talking about if we'll do it it will lead to financial peace so you got to decide in your life do you want to keep living the way you're living or do you want financial peace Right? Do you want to just keep doing what you're doing, or do you want to step back and try to do it a little bit different so that you get a sense of financial peace? Let's look at what the Bible says about money and stuff in this really great, rich passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. We'll bring this up on the screen. When we get to the red word, uh, which will be a minute here, I'm going to ask you to read it loud, out loud with me, but uh, we're just going to kind of talk through this sentence by sentence. Here's what Paul, uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. He says, Yet true godliness... With contentment is itself great wealth. So I would just sit with that for a minute. What is great wealth? Is it having a lot of money in the bank? You know, is it uh, having a huge four hundred and one k? You know, is it um, never being able, never never having to work again in your life? Like, what defines great wealth? Here's what Paul's saying. First of all, great wealth, he says, is godliness with contentment. That's great wealth. He says, after all, look at this. We brought nothing with us when we came into the world. Hello, somebody. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it, right? You never see a hearse with a U haul. That's the oldest joke in the world, by the way. And you still laugh. I love the Central family. You guys are so kind. We brought nothing. I mean, sometimes we just got to pause, don't we? And remember, like, all the stuff that you and I worry about and stress about, all the things that we think we have to have, all the stuff that, you know, we feel like if we don't get, we'll never be happy or our life will be over or whatever. In the end, we're not taking any of it with us. So it's all temporary. Enjoy it, celebrate it, but remember to keep it all in perspective. It is what it is. And we're not going to take it with us. It says, so... If we have enough food and clothing, let us be what? Content. If we have food, we have our basic necessities met in our life, let us be content. Now let's go to the next slide. But people who long to be rich, so that's the opposite of contentment longing for more, always longing for more, longing to be rich. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And then here's a passage right here in the Bible that often gets twisted. He says, uh, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice he doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money's neutral. Money can be good. Money, money can be destructive, but it's the inappropriate love of money that becomes the root of all Kinds of evil in our world. And some people, he says, craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So I love it when the Bible speaks from thousands of years ago in a way that is so practical and relevant to our lives today. All you have to do is look at the headlines, all you have to do is look around in our culture, and you see that the love of money can lead to all kinds of heartache and pain and difficulty. We said last week a simple principle if you want to master money in your life money cannot be your master. If you want to master money money cannot be your master. It's a great tool. It's a horrible master. And so Paul's given us some deep teaching to think about contentment godliness and contentment and how it can work together as it relates to our stuff. And i boil it down this way. I'd say, look, wealth cannot make you content, but contentment can make you wealthy. Wealth cannot make you content. And if you want an example of that, right, just look around at all the people who have millions of dollars who never need to work again and who are absolutely miserable. Hello, most, right? Wealth can't make you content, but contentment can make you wealthy. I've been all over the world to some of the poorest parts of the world and interacted with believers on different mission trips and things. And I'll tell you, the people that I've met that are most content are often the people that are living with the absolute least. Poverty at a level we don't even understand in our culture. But if they have food and clothing, they've learned to be content with that. So so wealth in and of itself doesn't immediately equal contentment. But Paul says if we learn contentment in our lives, that can make us wealthy, no matter how much money we make or no matter how much money we have. It starts with contentment. So first principle for today is to remember contentment is great wealth. Remember contentment is great wealth. I mean, we all face the tension between what we have and what we wish we had. It's like this uh, picture I saw thrown up on Instagram. Uh, First side, it says, what I want. You know, she's looking out at Paris, it's awesome. And then what I can afford, he's staring at the laundromat into the washer. And we all have that tension that we feel. It just, uh, it just comes with it, I think, in our lives. We all understand it. We all uh, uh, live with that push and pull. But contentment can be incredibly powerful. Now, last week we talked about 101080. I said that for me, when I began to tithe and give back to God that that was probably the most uh, powerful step I had ever taken uh, in my financial life that then led me to start saving and to start budgeting. And the reason that I think is the case for me is because I started to trust God financially. I started to go on a faith journey with him. It wasn't about the money. God doesn't need my money. But we talked about that last week. You should go back and check that message out. One of the things that one study I saw, we'll talk about this uh, maybe more next week, but one study I saw was on the Jewish people down through the centuries and how they have continued wherever they go to be disproportionately wealthy compared to others in the areas where they live. And it was a study in a book that eventually came out that was written by a rabbi. And he said, giving is a huge part of the wealth of the Jewish people because they learned to tithe and give back to God. So their relationship with money became one where they were willing to let go of it. They were also then willing to invest. They're also then willing to put their money to work for them and to make smart decisions that then ultimately brings back fruit into their lives. Interesting. So uh, giving was, was huge for me. And then saving became the outcrop of that in my life. Now, I did go through a season in my life, some of you are there probably right now, where I was absolutely overwhelmed. I was working three jobs. I was working a full-time job as a pastor. I was teaching at a university. I was taking on every side job that I could take on. And we were living in California, and if you wanna be broke, live in California. Right? I mean, we just did, we couldn't rub two pennies together. You know, I remember I standing in my backyard, quote unquote, I could, I could touch my back gate and the back sliding door, (laughs) you know, but, um, as much as I worked and as hard as I worked, I felt like I just couldn't, I couldn't, uh, get ahead. I couldn't, there wasn't enough. (laughs) And I just remember feeling like I was about to have a nervous breakdown. I couldn't work anymore. And, um, in the midst of all that, I Finally, it just dawned on me. I did not have an income problem. When you think you have an income problem, then the first thing you go to when things are tight is, how do I earn more money? I had a spending problem. That's a different problem altogether, right? And when you go the other direction and realize, okay, so how do I control my spending? we made some decisions as a family where we, uh, you know, we, we cut a lot of entertainment out. Date nights became like, let's hang out in the living room together for a season. Uh, it was tight. It was really, really, really tight. We went on a cash system. If you're, I mean, if you're out of control financially and you really want to get serious about it, it's almost impossible to do now because we live in a cashless society. But this was a few years ago. But still, it, it's a powerful principle, and Dave Ramsey and others recommend it. If you're really struggling financially, you go to a cash system, it just hurts a lot more to hand somebody 20 bucks than to put 20 bucks on the card. You just feel it. We had envelopes laid out, you know, clothes, we budgeted everything, we had it all laid out. And, uh, you know, I look back on those years and a couple things happen. One, I went from working three jobs to one job. And because we adjusted our spending, even though my income went down and we got serious about it, We were actually able to give 10% back to God. We were able to save 10%. That's where I started saving for my daughter's college education. I've been saving for her education every single month since she was like two or three years old, and thank God I did. Wow. It's always more than you think it's gonna be, right? So those were tight years and hard years, but you know what we got? We got the gift of financial peace in our lives from from those years. And I just, dads, you know, I know some of you, you wanna provide and you're trying hard to provide for your families. But you need to not only provide for them financially with what they need, but you also have to be present. Your kids need you in their lives. They need you to be available. I remember when my daughter was growing up, standing there one day and she said, Dad, as soon as she was old enough to talk, she said, what are you doing here? I said, what, what do you mean? She said, the sun's up. You're never here when the sun's up. And my priorities, because I wanted to take care of my family, had gotten uh, pretty, pretty messed up. And I had to step back and make a lot of changes in that season in my life, just like we had to make financial changes in this other season in our lives. But when we got on a plan and we realized it's not about your income, listen, if you if you're making $35,000 a year, you cannot make it work. It's absolutely not working. Don't kid yourself to think if you made $55,000 a year, everything would be smooth sailing. That's what we always think, right? If I just made a little more, no, no, no. You know what we do? We absorb it into our lives. We just kind of build it right into our living expenses and we spend everything else we get. And what? We're right back where we started. So I had to realize I, I, I didn't have an income problem. That was not the issue. I had a spending problem and I was doing nothing extravagant. Can you relate to that? Nothing, I was driving an old Beater Grand Dam. come on somebody, I had an old Honda, like, like the most extravagant thing going on in our lives was trying to scrape up enough money to fly on Southwest to get my kids home to see their grandparents once a year. I mean, there was like nothing going on. But still we were spending too much money because we weren't managing the money that we had. It's hard to do it, it's hard to manage it, but if you will, it can be powerful. So Paul says, hey, it's godliness and it's contentment that can work together, and I think that's really the glue that can make ten ten eighty work, that can lead to financial freedom for some of us in our lives. Here's another thought, and that is to just work the plan, to work the plan. It's interesting uh, how many of us as people <laughs> tend to think, I saw this slide on social media, I thought it was great, Uh, check this out. It says uh, at the top, one in four accidents are caused by texting and driving. And so people think, won't be me, right? But then look at this, one in 302,575,350 chance of winning the Mega Millions Lottery. And what do people think? You never know. (laughs) I mean, isn't that just true? Like, think about that, like, one in four right? Get injured, texting while driving. I'm good. I'm good on that. It's 300 million plus people that are probably going to win the lottery. I read a statistic that said you're more likely to roll out of bed, fall on your head and die in the middle of the night than you are to win the big money lottery. But I saw a study that said 25% of Americans think their only chance to ever retire is to win the lottery. You just got to win the lottery. Um, well, I hope that happens for you. But again, hope without a plan is just hype. So what, and maybe you're like, hey, it's too late for me, so it doesn't matter. No, it matters. What you do today can still make a difference. Look at what Proverbs says. Proverbs 21, beginning in verse 5. Look at this. Good what? Planning. And hard what? Work. Planning and work. Planning and work. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. <laughs> I love this. Vegas needs this last part of this sentence, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty, right? You cut the corners, hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Um, you ever wondered why people can hit it big and maybe win the lottery. And then we hear all the stories of how they lose it all, right? You know, you read the articles or sports figures can make tens and 20 millions of dollars. And then five years later, they're broke, right? Or entertainers can suddenly have a hit song or whatever. And they got all this going on. And then a few years later, they've got absolutely nothing. And I think we often want the overnight success. But I think this verse we just read gets to a principle here. If you don't learn how to manage your money when you have a little, and grow it little by little over time, then you're not ready when all of a sudden a whole lot of money gets dumped in your lap. And because you didn't grow it little by little, it's gonna go right through your hands and right out the door. The majority of us in this room and at our locations, if we're ever gonna amass any kind of wealth, it's gonna happen little by little that we accumulate over time. I mean, statistically, very few of us are gonna win the lottery. Very few of us are going to have some crazy rich relative that we never knew about die and suddenly drop a whole lot of money in our laps. Hope that happens for you. If it does, make sure to tithe. <laughs> but if we've got any chance at having money in our lives, it's going to be because of amassing wealth. It's going to be little by little over time, faithfulness over time. In fact, I read... Uh, Several books have come out over the last 10 or 15 years on millionaires. And um, all the studies kind of show that about 80% of the millionaires in America started with nothing. 80% of them. So 80% of them were not trust fund babies. 80% of them were not people who had everything handed to them. It was people in trades work. It was people in education. It's people who own small businesses. It's all across the map. The average age that, uh, that part of that 80% that, that are millionaires, the average age they became millionaires was 62. So that's a lot of hard work over a lot of years, slowly building wealth, right? That's what they did. So that's what 101080 10, 10, is really all about. It's giving us a tool to help us get real about how we can pay ourselves, be generous, and prepare for our future. And I believe it'll work. So I don't know if you have a spending plan, but I want to encourage you to work your plan. If you don't have a plan, get a plan. If you just have hope, hope without a plan is just hype. Get a plan. Every year, we have a spending plan in our family. Every year, we go over it. About every six months, I review it. We've been doing it for a long time, so it's pretty dialed in at this point, and I make adjustments to it. By the way, I call it a spending plan. I got this from a book years ago, rather than a budget, because a budget feels so restrictive. But a spending plan, well, that feels better. I'm gonna spend it, baby. But I'm gonna determine where it goes before we get there. Right? And I'm gonna spend some of it, on God and faith, I'm gonna spend some of it on my family and our future, and I'm gonna spend some of it to live, right? But so I call it a spending plan, and uh, we go over that every year. You need a plan, and if you're overwhelmed financially, if you just feel like you're not even sure kind of where to go moving forward, I wanna talk through something that was super helpful to me. We got in some credit card debt years ago. I haven't had a credit card in years. I just have a debit card now. For a long time, we went to just totally on a cash system. For over 10 years, I just used cash. But at some point, it just got ridiculous at the grocery store counting 20s out, and everybody's looking at you like you're a weirdo. So. I use a debit card, but we keep really uh, a a hard kind of account of what we're doing as it relates to that debit card. But I I haven't owned a credit card for years because I got in some credit card trouble. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it happened so fast and it wasn't from crazy living. People always think, oh, you're just living crazy. So you got those credit cards. It's just not real, right? It's not how it really, it just, I can't even explain it. All I know is that, that I was in over my head before I knew what to do. And I got exposed to a teacher who's become a friend of mine and a friend of Central named Dave Ramsey. And I got exposed to his radio kind of show and his tele- he was on Fox for a while and, um, you know, he's been sort of all around. He's done some stuff here for us at Central. But at the time, I started to listen to his radio show. Like every day I'd go out, exercise, and I would I would listen to it, and he talked about baby steps that you could take financially if you felt like credit cards were just overwhelming in your life and everything was sort of maxing out. And I found this to be super helpful. I did this in my life over the course of those couple years when we lived in California and was able to pay off all of my credit cards, deal with that uh, uh that debt and just have longer term debt that I had to manage in my life. So I want to briefly share it with you. Baby steps if you're overwhelmed. Here's what Dave Ramsey says. He says as far as getting a plan, he says, first of all, stash $1,000 in an emergency fund. Pay the minimums on all your cards, pay the minimums on everything, and just work a spending plan so that you can eventually build up to have $1,000 in your savings account. Some of you think that's not much at all, but listen, that puts you ahead of most Americans. Just saying, right? Just get a thousand, and why do you need $1,000 in a saving account? Because Dave's about to kind of lay out baby steps on a whole financial plan that won't work if you don't have some cash set aside in the bank because something's going to go wrong. Something's going to happen and you got to have at least some money to deal with that. So he says, pay the minimums on all your cards and just get a thousand bucks in your savings account. That's step one. Step two that was super helpful for me uh, was what he calls the debt snowball. And the debt snowball said, look, take all of your credit cards and order them from smallest to largest. And start paying the smallest credit card first. Pay the minimums on everything and then pay everything extra that you can on that minimum credit card. Now, all the math people kind of rock, rock up, you know, and say, well, let's look at the interest rate you're getting on these cards because you might be spending more. Maybe you should pay this card off before you pay that card off. And I love what Ramsey says. He goes, hey, look, math did not get you in this situation. <laughs> Don't think math's gonna get you out. He's just trying to give you just a plain, simple approach, right? So you take that smallest credit card, you pay the minimums on everything, you put the extra on that, and eventually you start to build up some momentum. And when you get that card paid off, you roll over what you were paying on that card as well as with that money that you paid on the card and you roll it to the next largest card. And then you just snowball it and you start getting momentum. And what he's found after years of doing this is that's helpful to people because if you don't do that, like if you just take your largest debt first, you'd be paying on that for 20 years but you can get some momentum and get a snowball like going downhill going, paying down some of your debt that way. Once you get some of those high interest rate kind of credit card, uh, short-term loan things paid off, he says, then you should focus on trying to save for three to six months of your expenses, right? Trying to build something up so that if something happens, if you lose your job, well, Stats Shay. if you live long enough, you and I, we probably will lose a job at some point, maybe more than once. Some of you have already been through it more than once, right? So build up some savings just to be ready and to be prepared. And um, then the fourth step of the baby steps is to start investing then for the future, So first you get $1,000, then you take care of your short-term debt. You may be paying down some long-term debt for a lot of years, but while you're doing that, you start investing for the future and uh, putting money back, whether it's for retirement, whether it's for your kid's college or both or whatever. And a little bit over time really adds up and it goes a long way. So that's a simple plan that you can work in your life. And Dave Ramsey's books and uh, radio show and material, there's others, but his was so helpful to me, it could be powerful for you if you'll lean into it. And he'll give you hope. You'll hear people calling in that are paying off all kinds of debt, cutting credit cards up, doing all kinds of crazy stuff that right now you may think is never possible in your life, but it is possible and you can get freedom, you can. Just work the plan. Now, the good news today is it's Father's Day. The good news is we're reminded that no matter how overwhelming things may be financially, no matter how hard things may be financially, the Bible talks about God as a Father and a Father who loves us and cares for us, a Father who uh, is, wants to provide for us just like. We as fathers often have that provider instinct in our families. I think we get that from God. I think that's who God is. He provides for his children. He provides for his people. So if you're a believer today, you don't have to simply go through life just worrying about all the numbers. You can also go through life with confidence that in spite of the numbers, you have a father who loves you, who's got your back, who's moving and working, who wants what's best for you. You have a loving father. I know in my own life, I spent a lot of time trying to unwire the difference between what I had. uh, I had a great father. Uh, My dad was um, a good dad. He was a master sergeant in the army. So he was disciplined and tough, but he was a good, good man. He uh, was in a commercial refrigeration business, had his own little business, Will Heights Refrigeration in Amarillo, Texas. And I worked there as a kid, kind of growing up and he was a good dad. Wasn't always present, but I don't think he really knew how to be, you know, but he worked hard, he provided for our family. And uh, I get it as a dad. I'm, I feel like I'm not present enough sometimes and you work hard and you do your best. But what I learned as I got older is I started, I was, in, I was an addict for uh, several years in high school and put my parents through, you know, hell basically. And when I finally got clean and sober, got organized in my faith, got focused on God, went to college. And I started working really hard to try and make my dad proud because I felt like for so many years I had tortured him and I wanted to make up for all the stuff that I had done. And I worked really hard for a lot of years doing that. And it took a long time for a counselor to help unpack in me this idea that I had taken that experience and then I had projected it onto God. So the only way I can really please God is if I work really hard to make up for all the stuff I've done. And the good news about God is that's not how God operates. That wasn't how my father operated either. That was just what I projected onto him, right? That's not how God operates. God, Jesus came and lived and died and rose again so that we could be forgiven and free, so that we can walk in forgiveness. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to achieve it. You don't have to work for it. You're never gonna make up for what you've done. You can just receive it. He's a father who loves you unconditionally. You could just walk in it and walking in that is a huge part of coming to contentment. And listen, wealth can't make you content, but contentment can make you wealthy. You can be rich with or without money when you're walking in faith, when you know God's got your back, when your sense of anxiety and worry is lessened and when your sense of freedom is increased. So maybe you're here today and maybe you've never crossed the line of faith if that's where you're at, I'd love to give you just an opportunity to reach out to God and to trust him in your life and to allow him to move and work. So I wanna ask all of you, would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus today, you could take that step in your life by just repeating a simple promise after me. Say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you wherever you're at, just to slip your hand in the air just to acknowledge that you're going to follow God in your life today, that you're going to trust him. Slip your hand in the air. God, we thank you for your love. I thank you for each person just reaching out to you. And I pray you'll fill their lives with hope and joy and peace and purpose. God, give us the strength to face tomorrow with optimism and with faith and give us just the ability to walk in your goodness and forgiveness each day of our lives. We thank you, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Listen, if you made a spiritual commitment in your life, I just wanna tell you congratulations. We're thrilled for you, we're celebrating with you. We'd love to put some resources in your hands so in just a moment when our experiences are over across our locations, we've got a journal we'd love to give you, it doesn't cost anything. It's called the New Beginnings Journal. If you made a spiritual commitment, then you're making a declaration. You're going for a new beginning with God. This will give you some tools over the coming days and weeks, just a simple journal to help you follow God in faith. So after our experience, go to the New Beginnings area across our locations, and we would love to put one of these resources in your hands. Well, I'm gonna throw it now to our location pastors who are gonna wrap up each of our experiences. Let's put our hands together for them.